0: Hello welcome to Cubs PS Plus, a North Side Numbers game, a weekly podcast that dives headfirst into the analysis of hot topics driving Chicago Cubs baseball. I'm your host, Mike Waller, a lifelong Cub fan, full-time baseball stat nerd, and sometime youth baseball coach. Thank you for being here today. I know you have a lot of choices. You can also find me on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube, all at Cubs PS Plus, a spin on the baseball metric OPS Plus. If you can, please take 10 seconds and drop a rating or review on Apple, Spotify, Pandora, Stitcher, or wherever did you get your podcasts. If you've done that, thank you so much. Maybe you could share an episode with a friend. Just a few seconds on your end can help me get better and help other Cub fans find the show. You can also now help support the Cubs PS Plus podcast by going to CubsPSPlus.patreon.com. There are four support tiers that come with added perks, such as access to a private Discord discussion group, access to bonus episodes merchandise discounts in the merch store that will launch in the coming weeks, and the ability to submit priority questions ahead of time for interview guests and more. Your support will help me keep this podcast ad-free. Welcome into episode 41. You're not as good as you are on your best day, and you're not as bad as you are on your worst. The Cubs are finding that out. After a terrible stretch of baseball, the Cubs are showing some life. It's been a much better week. After the Cubs got swept in L.A., the Cubs took two of three from San Francisco, and then came home and beat the Pirates a couple of times before... Wait for it, actually winning the last game of a series for a sweep. This week, I have a timely guest. With Matt Mervis back in Iowa and someone else going down tomorrow for Justin Steele, I have the voice of the Iowa Cubs, Alex Cohen, on to talk about the increasing gap between AAA and the major leagues. While we talk about individual players, Alex gives a great look into the approach of those guys living in between. Alex's love of the game shines in this interview, so give it a listen and share your thoughts. Are you ready? I'm ready. Here. We. Go. Today I'm thrilled to be joined by the voice of the Iowa Cubs, Alex Cohen. Alex, welcome to the show.
1: Thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. Always fun to talk some baseball, especially when uh, the season of baseball is coming with summer and it kind of feels like baseball, and I'm glad to talk about it.
0: And hey, the Cubs are on a win streak, both the Iowa Cubs and Chicago Cubs, so life is good.
1: They are. I mean, it's always fun when the Iowa Cubs and the Chicago Cubs win on the same day, and they've done it on back-to-back days, so uh, it's been a lot of good baseball over the last week or so.
0: Hey, let's keep that rolling. So um, you're new to this show, so you may be new to some of my audience. Um, how did you wind up with the Iowa Cubs? And-
1: yeah, so I've been broadcasting in minor league baseball for 13 years, uh, just kind of going up through the ranks like the players do. You know, I've called games at rookie ball, single A, double A and, and triple A with Iowa. So I actually wasn't as much of a linear path for me. Um, I started with the Huntsville Stars, the AA affiliate of the Milwaukee Brewers. So with them for two years and the team got sold. Uh, Then I worked in the uh, media relations broadcasting department off air for a year with the Oakland Athletics. Uh, That was back in 2014. Realized that uh, I missed having a microphone in front of my face way too much. So uh, then I went back to the broadcasting route and kind of just started from the bottom up. Uh, went to the Australian Baseball League for a year, broadcasting games for the Melbourne Aces in Melbourne, Australia. Came That's back, cool. uh, worked for the Rookie League Affiliate for the Kansas City Royals, the Idaho Falls Chuckers for a year, uh, then two years with the Bowling Green Hot Rods, uh, single-A affiliate for the Tampa Bay Rays, and now six years with the Iowa Cubs, triple-A affiliate for the Chicago Cubs. And I, I got the I-Cubs job in a fairly traditional way. They opened up a position. I knew that they did. I sent in my stuff. Uh, about 200 people applied for the position. Wow. Uh, the process took about three weeks. Uh, I got the job Thanksgiving 2017. Moved to Des Moines December 14th 2017, and it was negative 14 degrees. So that was quite the uh, introduction to uh, Des Moines, Iowa. But I've been here for the last, you know, five almost six years, and uh, I've loved every second of it.
0: That's great. Yeah, welcome to Iowa with those temperatures. I I, yeah. I grew up there, and that's part of the reason.
1: They say that there's four seasons in Iowa. Uh, that doesn't seem to be the case. I feel like you know, last week it was 30 degrees and it was 95 yesterday.
0: So. <laughs> yeah, the weather is one of the reasons I moved to the south. and uh, I like those those weather differences. So today we're going to talk about, um, you know, I've heard you on with Greg Haas. We're not going to dig as deep into the prospects as he does. They do great yep. work on Cubs on Deck. But um, I want to talk about kind of that. That life we see, the, the guys who are just in the bigs or the guys who get sent down for a reset. And I guess given yesterday's transactions with Cody Bellinger being activated and Matt Mervis being sent down, let's start with MASH. Um, sure. So he's a guy who, um, for background, the Cubs drafted him or did not draft him in 2020. They He would have been drafted if it had been a normal draft year. Signed him as an undrafted free agent. Kind of had a probably not that spectacular 2021, but then shot up the ranks last year and got to a point where it really looked like he had nothing left to prove at AAA, get to the big, struggled. And I think we've seen a lot of that this year. So talk to me about the difference between AAA and the major leagues and those guys who have a huge amount of success, go up, struggle, and then have to figure things out after that.
1: Well, I mean, you you see it really with any position, any player, any situation. Um, You know, Anthony Rizzo coming up through the organization who – yeah, you know, Matt Mervis was compared to early on. Yeah, you know, Matt. You know, Anthony Rizzo came up, debuted, struggled. He was optioned twice. He was optioned with with, with San Diego, and then he was optioned with the Cubs. And Kyle Schwarber, you know, he he had immediate success early, and then he got optioned. Ian have got optioned after a year and a half up in the big leagues. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes you come down here for reset to, to come here in front of you know 5,000 people instead of 50 to, to work on your mechanics and, and not be under such scrutiny sometimes uh, just need to see more pitches go through another process sometimes you're experimenting with the new position with the new skill set with the new mentality so I think for Matt coming down here just to play every day not underneath the bright lights of Wrigley Field and uh, work on you know, not chasing as many pitches out of the zone, which I actually think he did pretty well uh, the last week of the season, but or the last week that he was up there. But you know, the difference is, uh, I think the Chicago Cubs, when they're nine games back, there's there's different expectations than when they're three and a half games back. Yeah, the for sure. So you know, being able to come down here and and play every day and get the abs and go through what he learned up there and, and come down here and work with hitting coach John Maley on you know what he did well, let's do more of that. What he didn't do as well, let's work on that. So. Uh, I think with Matt that, that that he's a big leaguer, and I think that uh, he'll probably be up later in the season. But right now, with, with Cody Bellinger being you know deficient health-wise and really you can only play one position right now to work that knee back, that's first. Well, that's the position that Matt Mervis plays. So you got to have your $21 million man up there and Cody Bellinger in the lineup if you can have him three and a half games back in the division. And uh, I, I think that Matt being down here, it'll help for him.
0: So how did the players approach that when, you know, I, I thought – Matt had a really good last week. I mean, the last game he played, he had that really good at bat wound up with a really hard contact line drive. It was out, but it was hard contact oppo, which is always a good sign. Yeah. Um, when they're, they feel like they're there, I guess the, the players, I'm sure obviously they want to be in the bigs. the, Is there a lot of frustration in going back and forth? Uh, Especially like Matt had to wait a while because...
1: No, that's a a really good question. And I think it really depends on who the player is and at what juncture they are in their career. Um, Matt's a pretty objective guy. Um, He's somebody who's pretty logical, uh, doesn't really buy into the drama and the comments. And I think Matt could rationalize like, you know what? I was hitting under 200. I was striking out at a 30% clip. Um, I can come back down here and really work on some stuff. Um, And I think that he recognizes that there is stuff to work on. He builds off the stuff that he succeeded over the last week. But um, I I think that coming off his first call up, um, if you're getting option for a guy like Cody Bellinger is a two time all star MVP and is on a one year deal. uh, I think he can rationalize that. But I think there's certain players in certain spots, depending on if they've been up and down before, um, if you're 25 or 30, like if you're 35, you're going to think differently than when you're 25. I of think course, Matt yeah. on you know, his first big league extended stint coming back down here, I think he knows that this is not the last you know chance for him to develop at the big league level. I think that he knows that. Um, The Cubs have a long term void at first base and he's the first person with the opportunity to get it and he will get more opportunities to obtain that position. So um, I I think Matt, I haven't talked to him yet, but I I think Matt will uh, be very rational about it. But you know, there are certain players that really struggle with it because they think it's their last time up with the big leagues or they ruined their first opportunity in the big leagues and, and that fans are upset and the front office is upset and the managerial staff is upset. So it really just depends on the player.
0: And how would that con- contrast with, let's say, a guy like Miles Mastroboni? So the Cubs got him from the, the Rays. He hit through every level of the Rays system. The Cubs trade for him. He gets you know he gets put in right field probably a little unfairly for say a Suzuki when yeah. when Chicago decided to take two outfielders uh on their opening day roster um he's been one that I know has gotten a lot of the fans ire and then they, the Cubs sent him down and he hit again like he posted a 155wrc plus in Iowa yeah. back up and he's struggling like how does a guy like that like work through maybe being a 4a player and and being stuck when I, I think he knows he can do it
1: I think he knows he can do it. Um, you know, Miles is 28, and the fact is, like, you make a really good living being a 4A player, you know, That's guy with, with big league experience. And um, I can't imagine if he gets sent down here, he'll be particularly happy because you know, I talked to Miles. He's very intense, uh, very intelligent guy. He thinks that he can contribute at the big league level, even if he is hitting. Yeah, you know, 200, 220. I mean, the, the caliber of a bat, the defensive versatility, the on-base percentage. Um, I, I think that Miles thinks that he's a big league player. I do too. Uh, but there's just not enough big league teams for all the big league players that are in professional baseball. So mm-hmm. if he is a 4A player, if he is going you know, back and forth from the big leagues to A, guess what? You can make a pretty good living doing that. So um, I would call that a, a successful career from a professional baseball standpoint. Know the majority of the fans don't, but just knowing where Miles came from—a mid-round draft pick with the Rays—and just methodically hit his way up through the organization. Um, I actually had Miles on my 2017 Bowling Green Hot Rods team oh, as you? a single A middle infielder, um, and Miles was always happy, confident. But but to say that six years later, a mid-round draft pick from 2015 is a fringe big leaguer—I would call that a career success.
0: Yeah, I would too. Um, I don't know if you grew up playing playing baseball i played badly in high well. school yeah exactly i <laughs> yeah. always wished i was better um and just watching the levels and I've, i go out and i watch high school baseball around here we have the white Sox triple a team get to wrigley and i mean the caliber baseball just leaps at every level yeah um so one of the things you know we lined this up interview up maybe a week week or so ago and and yeah. a couple nights ago i was listening to um Boog and Joe Girardi talk and they start talking about guys like Christopher Morel being sent down and how you go down sometimes you know you, you rise up through the system and, and they were not centering this on Morrell, but I'll use him as an example so he got the bump up from double A last year mm-hmm. and hit the ground running I mean what did he get reach base 22 23 straight games when he first yeah, came well,
1: up for three weeks and you yeah, know it was a borderline rookie of the year candidate for the first half of the year
0: yeah um, and then you get sent down, and he was crushing the ball so so well the beginning of the season in Iowa. And Girardi was talking about how sometimes you go down and maybe you know you have to work on strikeout rate or you know you have to work on laying off certain pitches. But when you're facing inferior pitching, you just get pitches to hit, and you just go and you go and you go and you put up big numbers and you go back up and you realize nothing has really changed. Um, is there a big emphasis on that? in Iowa when these guys come back down is there a lot of focus on making sure they do the work they're supposed to do or is that really up to the individual
1: no there's an emphasis on that I think they come down with a plan um you know for morell a lot of it is just confidence based. come down with a smile mm-hmm. on your face and you know hitting and hitting well is contagious so you know if if that type of hitting even against semi-inferior competition down here which I don't think it's all that much I mean there's you know, location, that's probably the major difference between AAA and the big leagues, not stuff. But, you know, Chris Morrell sees a 99-mile-per-hour fastball come in, sees 110 off the bat coming out and hitting 452 feet. He's like, you know what? They throw 99-mile-per-hour fastballs up in the big leagues too, so I can do that. So I think with Morrell, it's just you know, confidence breeds production. Um, somebody here that, you know, he came down here, he hit over 300, he was leading all AAA in home runs. You bring him up, and, you know, now he's on pace for – 40 home run season as a 24 year old infielder. So, you know, I think specifically for him was just getting at bats, getting back to his confident Christopher Morell self. Um, he's a rhythm hitter. So, if he feels yeah. good, swings good, he is good. So.
0: And you know, that rhythm hitter, especially for guys who are maybe fluctuating, like you guys had Nick Madrigal down for what 10 days maybe he hit about yeah. 600. And,
1: yeah, you know, yeah, no big deal. Yeah, no big deal. on, 6 doubles, turned into, <laughs> you know, the Jose Altuve and triple <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. Excuse
0: me. <clears throat> um, so some guys, I think, play better, obviously, if they're in the lineup every day. They see pitches every day. But then sometimes the reality is those at-bats may not be there in the major leagues. Yeah. And, like, how do you see – when you talk to those guys, what do they talk about the difference being in terms of mental approach? I imagine that's something they have to learn.
1: They do. Um, it, it's really tough not to play every day when these guys coming up through – High school baseball, college baseball, minor leagues. Um, if you're in the big leagues, odds are you were playing every day um, in high school baseball, in college baseball, and in minor league baseball. So it, it's a completely new skill set. Um, I think for Nick Madrigal, it's a little bit different because, you know, he has such a I won't call it a complex approach at the plate, but it's it, it's finite. Like you, you don't see many strikeouts, you don't see many walks. It is see ball, hit ball. So. His skill sets, it, it actually on paper works out for a bench role because if you want, you're bringing a guy off the bench, you want him to make contact. You mm-hmm. want a competitive at bat. And that's why he was drafted fourth overall to make contact and to have competitive at bats. So you just have to know your skill set and know why you're being brought into the game. You know, situationally, you're down by three. Runners at first and third, one out. Probably want to drive the baseball. You probably want to put a ball into the gap. You want to put a good swing on it. You want to try to tie up the game or bring the team closer. Uh, if you're coming in the game, 3-2 game, ninth inning, nobody out, leading off the inning, you probably want to try to get on base. Probably mm-hmm. want to try to take pitches. So it, it's really all situationally, and it takes time for for these guys to learn that. But when you're a cerebral player like Nick Madrigal, who has a defined skill set of making contact and putting the ball where he wants to, especially on the ground, um, I, I think it's a little bit easier for those players.
0: Yeah, I can see that. Um, let's move on to the – I guess at the – peak level, you know, you've got the different kinds of players. You got, I guess the best case scenario would be your Chris Bryant or Nico Horner's just, you know, fly through the system, get to the big stick, yeah. have a career, get a contract. Um, Those guys, you know, probably don't need to talk a lot about those, but I um, imagine those guys can also put pressure on the players that they're passing. So when you're maybe like a Jared Young, you know, he had a really good year last year, got a cup of coffee in Chicago. It, it was probably pretty obvious by midseason that Matt Mervis was coming. Like, How do those guys deal with that?
1: Uh, They learn how to be more versatile. (laughs) Um, You look at Jared and he says, oh, man, now we got the top five prospect in the organization coming up. I need to do something to stick out. And that was Jared going to the coach to say, hey, I could play third base too. And I was drafted as a second baseman. And let me take fly balls in in right field and left field. Um, Let me give you a reason to still put me in the lineup even when we do have these prospects here and have to put them in the lineup. And that's exactly what Jared did. Uh, Jared this year has played first, second, third, left, right, and DH. So that gives you more opportunities to be put in the lineup. Um, And Jared now has a 985 OPS this year. He just had a 10-game hitting streak snapped. He was hitting 444 over the last week with four bombs. So um, if you hit well, they'll find a place to put you in the lineup. And especially if you go to the coach and say, hey, I want to be more versatile. I know that they have top prospects in the organization at every position in the outfield and first base. So, you know, let let me try to find somewhere else to play. And I think third base last year is what he did.
0: Well, I think third base is obviously a place that the Cubs have struggled with the last couple of years. You know, Patrick Wisdom has had his ups and downs. Nick Madrigal's had ups and downs. Um, And that's just this year. Before this year, Nick wasn't even a third baseman. But Mm -hmm. obviously with Nico Horner at second base, the, the playing time has dwindled at that position um who I know Jake Slaughter's having a good year Christopher Morel I think played a little bit of third base when he was at Iowa right
1: yeah I mean he played majority outfield played a little bit of second played a game at short I mean he also moved around a lot but yeah he he played some third uh Jake Slaughter has played more third since he's left Jared Young a little bit David Bodie a little bit as well
0: yeah uh, David is another one he's been up and down um really since probably your entire time he's yeah.
1: No, I, I've had David uh, every single year that I've been with the I-Cubs. So 2018 <laughs> to 2023. And uh, it's been really nice seeing the career of David. I mean, you know, everyone's like, oh, well, he had his chance. And I see some comments on Twitter. It's like, well, he blew it. He didn't really blow it. He had four years of big league experience for a guy who was drafted out of community college in 2012. So yeah. if you draft the guy, you know, middle round, I think he was on 18th round draft pick, 2004, like at community college. Are you expecting him to be a four-year big leaguer or a two-war player in 2019 when you're making $990,000? I don't think that's the expectation. So if you look at the career of David Bodie, you won that. You won yeah. that draft pick. You won that contract. So um, just seeing him here with the amount of clarity that he has in his career and how good of a teammate he's been, played everywhere in the lineup, hit everywhere in the lineup. Um it's been really nice having him here, and, and it's been nice seeing David uh, do so well in his career. He's one of the good guys.
0: Well, and Well Here's so many great things. I think it would be very easy for somebody in his position who's had the chances and been back down to be maybe be better at this point. But it sounds like he's really a guy who's a mentoring figure for the young players.
1: It's the opposite. Yeah, I mean, there are some players that come down here on the back legs of their career or the back nine, so to speak, that – you know, they're bitter. They're upset that they're down here. Um, they question themselves. They question their careers. They question the coach and they question everything. And I think David being down here this year where he knows that he's getting a guaranteed salary um, and he's providing for his family and his you know, wife and three kids. And um, I think he's come down here with the right mentality. And he's really done everything this team has asked for and infinitely more.
0: Cool. Um, now, it, when you look at the younger levels of the minor leagues, everybody is – on the up, right? You're, you're either, you're either moving up or you're getting passed and, and you're out of baseball. Yep. Um, you get to AAA, there's so much more back and forth this year between what I've seen from Nick Madrigal and miles Mastroboni and some of these guys, it seems like the, the difference between major league baseball and AAA, especially on the offensive side is getting wider by the year. Is that something that you see as well?
1: I do. Um, uh, I, I think that Pitching-wise, there's a main difference. I mean, at the AAA level, even at the AA level, I mean, there's stuff. I mean, you have guys throwing 100. You have right-handed bullpen arms averaging 97 miles per hour, but it's just competitive at-bats location and secondary pitches. Um, I think Nick Magical actually coming down here and being able to play every day and just get into a rhythm, that's helped him since he's come up. He has a 400-on-base percentage, so Mm -hmm. uh, he's drawn more walks than he has struck out. So, Um, But I do think that the main difference is – Caliber of pitching, uh, balls that are in the strike zone and competitive balls. I mean, it's and it's also easier here at the AAA level to take pitches because you have an automatic strike zone for the first year. Uh, that has definitely simplified the approach where guys can live in that box, um, go look at that, and say, "Hey, you're going to swing here and you're not going to swing here." And I think that's really helped certain players. I think it's really helped Jared Young. Um, his ch- chase rate has dropped. You know, exponentially um, his walks have increased exponentially. So um, I think the automatic strike zone to the triple a level has made uh, an interesting addition to this where it's actually given the hitters the advantage. They don't have okay. that in leagues.
0: No, it doesn't sound like we'll have it next year either.
1: I don't think they will. Um, I really do think that the challenge system plays. Um, I think that's something that if you talk to every player here, guys that have come down on major league rehab, guys that have had big league experience, um, consensus they need to bring that up to the big leagues
0: yeah i mean i remember a game i saw the umpire scorecard afterwards and the, the umpire scorecard was not super lopsided but there were uh, ian happ and Seiya suzuki both got called out on three two pitches that were objectively off the plate yeah um, go to the, go to the you reverse it. those and all of a yeah. sudden you know the pitchers throw in another 15 pitches in the first inning guys on base
1: well, also, it's it's not as much of an indictment on the umpire. I mean, you see – I mean, we had a game this year. We saw 365 pitches. Yeah. And you have three challenges from both teams. All right, let's say you do six challenges. Um, four are accepted. That is four wrong calls out of 365 pitches. I mean, that's still, what, 97%? Yes. Like, it's okay to make four mistakes in a span of nine <laughs> innings. Like, I, right. I don't think it's an indictment, as much of an indictment on the umpires as as many would think.
0: I actually think the both the review system and some of those umpire scorecards actually highlight how good they are.
1: I would agree. I I was looking at Pat Hoberg's the other night, and it was spectacular. I mean, it was yeah. These guys are throwing ninety five mile per hour cutters, at one hundred and two mile per hour two seamers, and Yohan Duran's throwing one oh five, and you don't know where it's landing. And um, and I I think just seeing these guys calling correct games at a ninety five, ninety seven percent clip. I mean, I would take that on my any of my. High school tests, college
0: yeah. tests. Jeez, I mean, I, it's easy to watch and see the screen, right? The ball did or did not go in the box, but
1: yeah. But when it. you have 105 mile per hour of a projectile, uh-huh. your face is a little bit different.
0: And the movement on those is just insane. It's crazy. Um, earlier in my podcast, I had interviewed David De Silva, one of the mental skills coaches with the Cubs, mm-hmm. and he had talked about some of the things they're doing through the system. I mean, do, do you see? Um, I imagine the AAA is a group that really gets a lot of kind of mental skills attention because of yeah. that that pressure and the having to adjust to going back and forth. Um, have you seen a change over the last couple of years in terms of how the players handle that?
1: Yeah, I mean, I actually think the Cubs have been ahead of the game when it comes to mental skills and mental health, and you know, providing the uh, the, the mental acuity to you know deal with the AAA shuffle, the I eighty drive from from mm-hmm. Des Moines. Chicago um, I think the Cubs have been ahead of it and recognizing you know especially with a high payroll large market you know deep fanhood franchise type of team there's a lot that comes with that so I mean there have been mental health mental skills professionals here since I started in 2018 so I think the Cubs have been one ahead of that and I think the players have taken advantage of those resources
0: that's great um, let's talk about pitching for a few minutes. So we've talked a lot about the hitters on the, on the pitching side. There's always, you know, there's not as much shuffling of hitters typically. I mean, you, you have injuries and rehabs and stuff like yeah. that, but there's always the bullpen shuttles, You, know, you you've, especially now you got the limitation of 13 pitchers on the staff. Yeah. You go, you have a bad week, you get blown out a couple times, you burn that bullpen, you got to shuffle some guys back and forth. And we've seen this year, I think some guys kind of take a step back that we were excited about last year. Keegan Thompson for one. Um, Manny Rodriguez, I know he's been coming off a big arm injury. Um, Estrada just got sent back down after having some yeah. struggles. Like, What's life like for those relievers who probably often know they're going up just for they, they may only be going up for a week or two.
1: It's tough. I mean, they go for a week or two and then they are in a completely different role. So, you know, odds are the, the relievers here at the AAA level that are 7th, 8th, ninth high leverage guys are going up to the big leagues and they're not high leverage guys. So, it's thrusted in a different role, you know. Here at the AAA level, if you're a high leverage guy, you're pitching every other day. If you're not in the big leagues, especially with the off days, you're pitching every fourth day. So just getting into the routine, and you know, the Cubs have a lot of guys who were starters now relievers, relievers in mm-hmm. one role, relievers going to another role. So it's a lot of learning on the fly. Remember Jeremiah Estrada starter you know coming up through the organization mm-hmm. then thrust it at the bullpen and you know here was an eighth inning guy and goes up as a sixth inning guy so you have to use a different arsenal of pitches hitters or different approaches of the game um it takes an adjustment point for that so um and then now here at the AAA level the caliber of arm in the time that i've been here since 2018 has changed dramatically uh, oh, you crazy. look at the out of the bullpen now Daniel Palencia comes in, gets his first career save yesterday. His first fastball was 99.7 miles per hour. Bailey Horn came in through an inning and a third, struck out three, left-handed, great curveball, fastball at 97.5 miles per hour. Every single arm in this bullpen, Manny Rodriguez, 98. Cam Sanders, 99. Nick Birdie, 100. Daniel Palencia hit 101. When I first got here in Iowa in 2018, there was one right-handed pitcher who threw over 98 miles per hour, and that was Dylan Maples. Now you have yeah. everybody on the roster who throws over 98 miles per hour. It's a completely different you know, skill set arsenal of pitching that that this I-Cubs bullpen has and that this organization bullpen has. I mean, they brought up a couple arms. Bring up Ryan Jensen, first-round draft pick. Put him in the bullpen. He's throwing 97. Mm-hmm. It's so crazy.
0: Well, I think there was a big change in uh, 2019 when they overhauled the pitching infrastructure you know, for – they had gotten to the point where all these teams were bringing out these young arms throwing 99 and the Cubs just didn't have that anywhere. Yeah. And, but now I think we're starting to see it. Those guys who came in the system and got transitioned from maybe being starters to relievers yeah, are, are hitting triple A now.
1: Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, we had Hunter Biggie you know, throw a second triple A outing yesterday, Hunter Biggie, 12th round draft pick from Harvard, you know, six foot, 205 pounds. And his first fastball is 97.2 miles per hour. And you're just like, Oh my goodness. Like, <laughs> The, the caliber of arm talent now and arm health now is just so different from when I started in baseball 13 years ago. And when I joined the Cubs organization five years ago, it's been a complete overhaul.
0: Yeah. Well, and uh, I felt bad for Nick Birdie. I mean, I was following him in Iowa and he was having a great run Got sh- up to Chicago. Um, struggled his first outing, but then had a good outing and then the appendectomy. And now he's just set back for a while.
1: It's tough. I mean, he's had a really tough injury history, but I I will say having the appendectomy when you're on the 60-day big league I.L., um, it's a little bit more lucrative and it puts you in a better
0: situation. It's probably the right place to talk.
1: It's a a small win in a tough situation.
0: That's true. Um, So what have you seen from like Keegan Thompson? So Keegan Thompson, you talk about changing roles. I mean, he came up a starter, went to the pen, became a starter, went back to the pen um, as a long guy. And I think he's at least from where I said he's, he struggled to pitch back to back days or mm-hmm. recover quickly. Um, do you think he struggles this year because of that constant change in role or is.
1: No, I don't think so. I think that, you know, starting spring training, you know, throwing 91, 92 miles per hour. Um, maybe he tried to, to change mechanically and show some more deception. And then once he got his stuff back, um, now he's throwing 94 to 96. He topped out a 96.4 the other day. Um, Things got rewired a little bit. Um, I think they got a little convoluted. So uh, coming back down here, I think he's actually looked really good in his last two outings. Um, and it's just been a shift in pitch shape. I mean, in years past, you know, fastball cutter um, with a little bit of curveball. His curveball has been his best pitch down here. So now it's reframing that mindset that, you know, maybe the cutter that was my best pitch over the last two years, that could be my secondary pitch. And that I could throw my a curveball, which has been, you, know, you look at the metrics on his curveball since he's been here. It's been disgusting. So it's like, you know what, maybe I have to rewire it. Maybe I go fastball, curveball now. And and secondarily, I go cutter. So I, I think it's just recognizing the adaptation of the stuff that you have, um, some stuff that's falling off, some stuff that's peaking up um, over the course of a career and a season and adapting that way. I, I think Keegan's looked much better than his line is down here. Um, okay. I think especially against right-handed hitters. He's been pretty dominant. Um, he's left a couple fastballs over the plate, but, I think over his last three outing, it's been you 94-96 know, with good fastball placement. The strikeouts are up. The velocity is up. Uh, the spin on the curveball is up. I think the stuff is playing better. I wouldn't be surprised to see him back up in the big league soon. I think he's a pretty good.
0: That's good. I, I was wondering when he went down, because the Cubs have so many arms at AAA, I think it's been easier to just let him stay and get the work he needs and, and get right versus – Yeah,
1: I mean, I think that, as I said, I think throwing 91-92 to 92 and trying to overcompensate for that in – in spring training and, and go up to the big leagues March 30th when it's freezing and make sure that you're productive. And now, you know, it's getting warmer, the body's feeling better. Now your stuff is 94 to 96 and you're throwing like, you know, you're 91 to 92. It's just different. So mm-hmm. I think coming here and having a mental reset and being able to talk to Ron Valone as a 15 year big league veteran and say, Hey man, like you're good. Like, I don't care that you gave up four runs in your first triple A outing. This says you're good. Let's just you know work on one thing next outing. Work on one thing the outing after that, and a month from now you'll be in the big leagues.
0: I've heard so many good things about Ron Veleno.
1: It's the best. I mean, I, p- pitching coaches by nature are, are a lot of fun. Um, you know, whether they're career minor leaguers or 15 year big leaguers, he is my favorite pitching coach I've had in 13 years, and there's not a close second. And I think that the players will will say that as well. Just to have somebody who has started opening day in the big leagues, has closed games in the big leagues, um, who's sort mm-hmm. of middle relief in the big leagues, who's gone on the AAA, big league, 4A shuttle. I mean, he's done it all. So if you're upset about what's going on, if you're confused, that's a really good guy to go to.
0: Yeah. I remember watching him with the Reds, yeah. and I would watch him and think, this guy's not that good, but he would beat the Cubs all the time.
1: He would beat the Cubs all the time because he's just such a competitor. Yep. I mean, He's just going to go out there and say, you know what? I'm going to throw my best stuff. You hit it, you can rename it. It's like the Rick Wildfield gone <laughs> mentality.
0: Yep, exactly. Um, let's talk about Caleb Kille in a little bit. So he's a guy that was pretty hyped when the Cubs traded Chris Bryant. And obviously when you're traded for – you're the return for Chris Bryant along with um, Canario. Yeah. Um, that adds some extra pressure. You're not just a guy coming up through the system. And then he had that electric fall, um, you know, and, and then got his taste last year. Had, had a pretty good first start, I thought, and then yeah. got knocked around a little bit. And this year, you know, he's had a couple looks. I was really impressed. His last start in Chicago, he gave up, what was it, five, six runs in that first inning.
1: And then threw but then he fourth, second and third, yeah.
0: Yeah, and then he managed to get into the fourth. I think he gave a couple more in the fourth and got knocked out. But um, I thought he showed some mental toughness maybe I hadn't seen from him before. Yeah. Um, how's he been back to Iowa? Because he's got to be a frustrated guy.
1: Um, I, I think that he knows that he has to work on stuff down here. Um, ever since he's been back down here, he's really limited the walks. I mean, his la- actually his last outing, um, which was yesterday, he did walk a couple in the first inning. I think he ended up walking four, uh, but didn't walk anybody the rest of the game. Uh, and prior to that, didn't walk anybody in his last start. Um, he went six innings against St. Paul in, a, in an outing that they really needed him to go five or six. It was coming off a doubleheader, uh, one that went extra innings, Uh, They basically went to Caleb and be like, we need you to we need you to give us five, give us six. And he gave him six. So that type of toughness is not something that we've seen from him before. I think that he's a tough guy. But, you know, when you have your first sense of failure and you do it in the big leagues last year, like that's tough. Like all throughout his professional career, he was a stud Uh, when he was at Texas Tech, he was a stud. So, you know, having that first taste of failure, having it in the big leagues last year, probably tough on him. It'd be tough on anybody. Um, And then just losing your control a little bit. But here, I mean, he he's starting to realize that, you know what, like I have good secondaries need to control. But when I want 98, I can reach back and throw 98. And that's a powerful tool to have as a pitcher. So um I, I think that he's somebody that factors into the cubs organization long term um i think with a fastball that tops out at 99 you have some versatility there if you need mm-hmm. a long guy out of the bullpen if you need to make him an eighth or ninth inning guy you can go try to do that i mean there's a lot more to do when you can throw 99 from the right side than you do throwing that's, 95. so that's uh, for sure. the there are are still pretty plentiful and he and he's still working on stuff and um i think he's come down here with a with a really good mindset and he's pitching more like the Caleb Killian who, who went scoreless in Miami, uh, in the second and the third inning. So
0: that's great. Um, how's it been? I I know last year Alec Mills was down a lot and Mm -hmm. coming back from injury and and he's, I don't think he's with the team at the moment, but a guy like that who you've seen, you probably saw him almost every year that you were with the Cubs until this year. Um, how do guys like that play into helping develop these young pitchers?
1: Really depends on where they are at their career. Um, Alec, when he was down here in 2018, I mean, he was he was hungry. He was trying to get back up to the big leagues and trying to you know, make his role as a member of the Cubs. So it was a, there was a big competition layer when he came down here last year. I mean, he was a mentor. He was a guy who had thrown a no hitter up at the big leagues. He's a guy who has three years of big league service time. So when you have that crutch and you have that foundation, it's a lot easier to go to younger pitchers and be like, hey, you know what? I'm Alec Mills. I throw 89 to 92, and I throw a no-hitter up in the big leagues. Like, yeah. Let's talk about baseball. And the guy's like, you know what? Okay, let's, that, that's fine. Let's do that. And it's a lot easier to talk to players like that than in 2018 when when Alec had made one big league appearance with the Royals organization trying to work his way back up, and other guys on the team are are more competition and not as much teammates.
0: That's true. Um, I guess, speaking of, I imagine when Kyle Hendricks was down for a month this year, there, there were a lot of uh, pitchers hanging around him, picking his brain.
1: He was spectacular. You know, I, I've seen a lot of major league rehabbers come through here with Iowa over the last five years and, and just in general. And for the most part, they're great. He was the best. And that is not hyperbolic. I mean, he was the first one in the clubhouse playing cards with the players. You know, first guy in the in the dugout, you know, shaking hands, meeting with the media, doing everything that the that the media needed, that the organization needed. I mean, he was um, he was the perfect rehabber to have down here you know, with a young pitching staff, with young arms, and um, he was the best rehabber I've had.
0: Uh, it sounds like he and uh, Miguel Amaya really hit it off down there. Well,
1: that was the first thing that he said. I mean, he was just like, this guy's going to be a catcher in the big leagues for a long time. And go figure, three weeks later, Kyle Hendricks was a one-hitter and Miguel Amaya is the catcher.
0: Well, and Miguel's an interesting case too, because he's, he's looked really good in the majors since he's been up and he, he went up and came back down, but he's a guy because of all of his injury history, because of all the missed time. I mean, he hasn't played a full season since 2018. Mm-hmm. Um, I know there's some question about, is it better for him to be in Chicago? Cause that's where his skill set belongs or would he be better off being at Iowa and, you know, catching every day, getting that workload and kind of bouncing that out. But, mm-hmm. um, what did you guys it, – it's so cool to see him back as a prospect. Like he was he was like the number one guy, and you forget that he's only 23, 24,
1: he's 24. now. He's 24. 24 years old and a catcher with the experience level of a 21-year-old. And, yeah, people forget 2019, number one prospect in the organization, top 50 prospect in all minor league baseball. 2020 when they didn't play. That would have been a huge year for him. Yeah. Probably would have made it up to the big leagues. So yeah. just seeing him come back from injury – uh, really improved defensively, framing, throwing. I mean, you come back from an arm injury and you're a catcher, you don't really know what's going to take shape, and, and everything took shape in a positive way. And you know, I was talking to our manager, Marty Peavy, about it, and he's obviously former catcher up in the big leagues, former catching coordinator, you have know, 40 years of experience. And, and he said, one, he has changed men- mentally um, a 180 from when he saw him in spring training in 2019 and 2020 in a good way. He's just matured. And he said, like, the, the Chicago Cubs have a lot of prospects right now. Miguel Amaya is the one who's going to impact the big leagues right now in the best possible way. He was for a catching coordinator, and he's pretty pretty strict when it comes to catching. And um, I won't yeah. say not complimentary, but yeah, he has pretty pretty good standards for for catching excellence. He was really impressed with Miguel Amaya.
0: Yeah, he absolutely looks the part. Um, and it's, it's
1: done. I, I, I I it's tough for me to say. Oh, he's going to be an All Star in the big leagues. Um, I think he can be an all-star in big leagues.
0: He, he carries himself that way for sure.
1: He does with a smile on his face. He's positive. And when you have Kyle Hendricks, Hayden Wesneski, uh, Justin Seal all saying that they love working with him and they want to work with him for a 24 year old catcher with three weeks of big league experience. That's saying a lot.
0: Yes. Well, he's, he's catching Hendricks today. Yeah. Well, and and he was a bit of a wake up call and so is Brendan Davis. And, and here we are almost 40 minutes into a, talk about AAA and we haven't talked about Brennan Davis yet, but because of the, of the way the injuries happened, because those guys came up so fast, so young, it's, you know, I sort of, I didn't give up on Amaya, but at some point with all the injuries he stacked up, you had to wonder, how's he going to come back? Cause I mean, yeah. he's going to keep working on it, but we'll see. Um, it's gotta be, it's very easy to forget how young these guys actually are. Um, I think oh, mean Brennan, Brennan Davis, Davis is still is the youngest player on right?
1: the club's team and he's 23.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, so like those guys, like what's Brendan Davis fighting through right now? I mean, I, I know he's, he's got some, some sort of physical issue now and we don't have yeah, to get into no, that, but
1: there's a good enough, there's a pro and a con to this. Obviously like you don't want to see a guy, um, go through an injury for the second straight year. Uh, but the pro is it's not the same injury. It's not the back. Um, it's lower body and they're actually still evaluating it, um, to see what exactly it is. It it doesn't appear to be overly serious. Um, especially when you had a very serious back injury last Mm -hmm. year that he came back about two months earlier than most people anticipated. Um, so it's not that same injury. It's a shame for Brandon because the last 10 games before he got hurt, he was starting to swing it. Um, he had a double to right center here at principal park. Uh, I think like two or three days before he got hurt. And that was the first time I'm like, all right, like he might be back like that. Like he took yeah. a really tough pitch and just roped it. I think it was like one Oh seven off the bat to right center. I'm like, all right, like we're, we're getting somewhere here. Um, obviously you don't want to miss that time, but you know, it's not a, you know, a back injury. It's a lower body injury and you know something that he can hopefully come back from sooner rather than later as of right now.
0: Okay. Well, hopefully that's the case. He's, uh, He's been fun to watch, so I'd love to see him get back to action just he's like Amaya a, has.
1: Just a, He's a great kid, man. He's wired right.
0: Yeah. Really That's all I've at- ever heard about him.
1: Yeah, he's just wired. What what you want a big leaguer and somebody to represent your organization to be, um, that is Brandon Davis.
0: It is, it's got to be interesting in that outfield. I mean, they've had so many guys. And now Alexander Canario is coming back from that injury, and he yep. seems to be making – good strides at this point. I think he's ahead of schedule as well.
1: Yeah. He's about a month and a half ahead of schedule. Um <laughs> Talking about fun to watch um, <laughs> you know, a guy. hits 37 home runs last year and the ball just sounds a little bit different coming off his bat. Just had, a little
0: bit. that had to be fun to have him in, in mash in the same lineup. And yeah, uh,
1: I mean the last month of the year, I mean, they were going back and forth of the Cubs organizational lead in home runs and, and almost being minor league baseball's league lead in home runs. So Canario with a home run, Mervis at a home run. Canario hit three in Omaha, Mervis at a home run the next day. So um, that's so much power. One, you know, one from the right side, one from the left side, and with Canario coming back and, and Mervis being optioned here, and you know, seeing Pete Crow Armstrong hit grand slams to, to center field in Birmingham. I mean, there is so much outfield talent in this organization. Um, the fact that Nelson Velasquez is here in the minor leagues, just twenty four years old. Um, he screams big leaguer to me. He had a home no. run yesterday. He had two doubles and a home run yesterday. And I think the home run might be hovering around like midway right now in Chicago. <laughs> he hit it so far. So um, there is so much outfield depth in this organization. They've done a really good job of identifying talent at that position.
0: Well, and that's going to be really interesting to follow because obviously the Cubs just extended the in They've got Seiya Suzuki signed for three more years after this one. Mm-hmm. Um, PCA seems like the heir apparent in center field, but who knows, you know, they could, potentially re Cody Bellinger.
1: Yeah. We, um, you have our Gold Glove center fielder, former MVP, two-time All-Star, who's, you know, really taken the the Cubs fan base by storm and playing, you know, towards his MVP level and not the one of 2021 or 2022.
0: Yeah. And it's, I, I have to imagine that it's been different the last two years with the Cubs being out of contention, you know, selling off parts. Mm-hmm. There are more opportunities for guys to come up. Like, I wonder how the mindset's changed this year where some of those spots now are, are kind of locked up. And... Yeah if there are deals made at the deadline, maybe some of them get traded off for other pieces or over the off season.
1: Yeah. I mean, when you're three and a half back in June in, in a division, that's definitely winnable. Your, your organization tread deadline wise is is really um, trying to figure it out. I mean, it changes day by day. You know, one day you're a buyer right now. They're probably buyers um, in a week. They could be sellers. I mean, this mm-hmm. is a crucial stretch here for the Cubs. And you know, last year you saw players when they were out of contention, you know, Jared Young make his big league debut and, Unfortunately, right now, it doesn't seem like there's a path for a guy like that who made his big league debut, played for Team Canada in the World Baseball Classic and is raking down here. There's not really an active path for him to do that up in the big leagues right now because you have those two outfielders who are going to play every day that are signed long term. You have Cody Bellinger back. Guess what? He's on a one year prove it deal. He's playing every day. Trey Mancini, experienced player, signed him a two year deal. He's playing pretty much every day, especially against left-handed pitching. So then you have Nico Horner, just signed a long-term deal at second. Dansby Swanson, best shortstop in the National League. Mm-hmm. Where are these guys going to play?
0: Yeah. It's a good <laughs> problem for the Cubs to have. And and I know there's been some frustration with fans with the way some of the, like the bottom half of the roster has performed. Like when, mm-hmm. when Miles hasn't hit and Nick hasn't hit and and Patrick Wisdom's had his struggles. But um, it does seem like the talent is really – I know two years ago we were looking saying, hey, there's a lot of talent here, but it's at Myrtle Beach and it's at South Bend, and now a lot of it's now going it's to Iowa.
1: Yeah, yeah, now it's up. Uh, you have Nelson Velasquez as your, your – here's AAA starting center fielder, and he comes up to the big leagues and he drives in six in a game, and he hits a yes. grand slam. I mean, there are guys here right now that – you bring them up to the big leagues right now, um, they can perform at the A level. Owen Casey, start of his season – Pete Crow Armstrong, his last three weeks, they're studs. I mean, this organization has true studs for really the first time since you know KB, Javi, Rizzo, Schwartz, all them. So,
0: well, another guy I wanted to ask you about was Mike Talkman. So I, I looked at his numbers. Um, not a huge change. He's basically doing in Chicago what he did in Iowa. Yep. Um, and he's not flashy. He's not obviously. He's been the bigs before. He's been around a long time, um, but when you look at the fans get excited about Velasquez or Morell or, you know, the, yeah. the big young guys, but Talkman just goes out there and puts out a good at bat, plays a good, solid center field, something spectacular yeah. center field. I mean, that catch he made for Hendricks last start was just phenomenal.
1: Well, even two nights ago, we had a catch in the gap in left yeah. center, that the cap to comeback. So I think, I mean, you hit the nail on the head. It's just a pro at bat. I mean, in a sport where you fail, of the time, don't get on base and you're an all-star. The other 65% of those at-bats, you need to find some way to make them productive. If you strike out, how many pitches are you seeing? If you get out, are you advancing runners? Mm -hmm. Um, Are you working deep counts? Are you fouling pitches off? Are you tiring the starting pitcher? And I think that Mike Talkman. Um, the reason that he's up there, he has the perfect mentality to know his role. I mean, he knows that, you know, when I'm 32 years old, We, are, I'm in an organization that has both corner outfielders signed for three years and four years, respectively. I have Cody Bellinger here on a proven deal. I'm probably not going to play every day. But when I do, I'm going to do the same things that have gotten me here. I'm going to get on base at a 385 clip. I'm going to try to hit 270, and I'm going to see seven pitches per at-bat and play good defense and run well and just do what got him here. He's not going to do anything extraordinary, try to hit three home runs, but he's going to win you baseball games.
0: Yeah. Well, one thing I look back, you know, obviously I followed that 2016 team and had so much fun with it, and we all remember Chris Bryant and Javi Baez and the young Wilson Contreras and those guys, but I think what really made things roll was having Ben Zobrist and Chris Coghlan and Tommy Lastella and Dexter Fowler be some of those guys in between the young, exciting players that would just grind in at bat.
1: Yeah, and even the catchers with Rossi and you know Miguel Montero. Montero, yeah, yeah. It's just you need to have situational role players that aren't upset with not playing half the games in a series. Uh, that need to be okay when when their number is called. I'm going to give in and give a quality at bat. If I'm a pitch runner, I'm going to take that extra base. You know, not everybody. Has that mentality? Some people struggle when they're not playing every day. You need when you have a 26-man roster and 13 to 14 position players. You need complementary players to succeed. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, um, and I guess to Morel, he's he kind of fits that mold. He's bounced around a lot, and lately I've heard you know he he's not as comfortable being DH. I, I have to assume that's kind of that the way he's such a ball of energy and just has too just much time to
1: yeah. I mean, he's just so used to his athleticism being put full force. Like When you can run like him, throw like him, um, it's all like a mind rewiring. Um, I I think that he's at his best when his mind and his feet are working for three hours straight, not uh, once every three innings.
0: Yeah. Where did he look best defensively? Um, You probably see him in more positions than just about anybody.
1: I think that he's a really good athlete at third. Um, I think there's a little bit of a long release point there with the throwing. I think that's something that they need to – they have been working on. Um, I think his natural athleticism plays better in center. Um, yeah. But I think it's something that – he had never played center. He never played outfield. He was a second baseman, yeah. shortstop, third baseman for the first six years of his professional career. Then what, you're going to thrust him and play center field up with the big leagues? Like, you need to – you know, see routes. You need to see the, the tilt of the baseball again, you know, right-handed hitters go this way, left-handed hitters go this way. You need that experience. So, um, I think when it's all said and done, I think the speed and the arm, if he can, you know, track the flight of the baseball and he can start improving his routes, I think as high as ceiling is probably in center.
0: Okay. Um, do you have a sense of, uh, I- I've been surprised this year, honestly, with the problems at third base, like literally not an inning. Um, were there things that you saw from him at third base that um, may be a reason why the Cubs aren't playing him there? I know he played there some last year, and there were some throwing issues, but that Was seemed like out? a long slot. Yeah.
1: Um, I, I think the throwing motion's a little bit long. Um, I mean, especially if you're playing back and you have you know, speed guys from the left side. like It's something that you can get away here at the AAA level. You might mm-hmm. not be able to get away at the at, at the big league level. So Okay. Um, I think that you'll see him more at third, but I think that as of right now, when you're three and a half game backs, or when you're three and a half games back in the division, um, you're going to play him wherever what fits. Yes. Um, and I think you have to ride hot bats. Like, not going to play him in center right now because Mike Talkman's hitting 400 over the last week. Um, you're not going to play him at second because Nico Horner's there. You're not going to play him at short because Dansby Swanson's there. Um, but when they have off days, like they need somebody who can be a viable backup, and and I think that. He fits well for this Ben role. I think you'll see him at third. I think you'll see him a little bit at second. I think you'll see him in the corners. I think you'll see him in center. So um, it'll be interesting to see, you know, where Christopher morale projects for the rest of the season.
0: Yeah. And like you said earlier, if you hit, you'll play. And, and that, that bad. Yes.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Three hits yesterday. at What, you know, nine home runs in his first 12 games. If you keep on doing that, they're going to find a way to put you into the lineup, even if it is DH.
0: For sure. Um, I guess one other guy I want to hit on. Um, Jake Slaughter is a guy I've heard more and more about. Um, and again, probably to that third base position. I know he's been playing there a lot and he, I think he was drafted as a second baseman, but again, with that versatility, um, what have you seen from, from him this year?
1: He's such a good athlete. I mean, you look at him and he's just like a burly guy. He's got like the long beard and he's like six, two stocky, 225 pounds. I mean, he looks like he comes from a family of football players. He looks like an outside linebacker, which (laughs) is not a position that you would say would reek of athleticism, but you look at his numbers, I mean, he's a 30-double guy. He's a 30-stolen-base guy. Some of the plays that he's made at second and third, just like diving to his left, ranging onto the outfield grass, it, it kind of just makes you go, whoa, like he can do that. Um, timely hitting, you know, hitting with runners in scoring position. I think he's fourth in the league in RBIs this season. Uh, was it 52 now? He drove in two game one. He drove in one yesterday. So um, yeah, that's right. powerful from the right side. I mean, you by the end of the season, he could legit have – Thirty doubles, twenty five steals, twenty homers.
0: Wow! And I I know one of the challenges right now is the Cubs have it's it's the forty man roster, right? I mean, they they last year they had to add like Kevin Alcantara is probably a year or two away, yeah. But you have to add him to the roster because he's absolutely getting taken in the Rule Five draft if you know if he's not protected. Yeah, Um, there just aren't that many spots, and especially I know early in the season fans were frustrated with Eric Hosmer, um, that type of thing. But they're you know to bring up somebody like Slaughter. Um, you, have to
1: find, you have to find a spot for him. I mean, then you have yeah. to – you have DFA uh, utility player who's shown some value like Miles Masturbone. I know you know, people will be like, oh, that's easy. Do that. Well, it's not that easy to find a guy who can put together a quality at bat that can play six positions. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, that doesn't fall off trees. So um, I think the, the Cubs have a lot of guys like that at the AAA level that you want to see get their chance. I mean, they have the minor league hit King and Darius Hill last year. All Darius yes. Hill does do is hit. And he's not even getting a sniff up in the big leagues right now. But I would love to see him go up there and, you know, try to get a couple ABs and put you know bat on baseball because he doesn't strike out much and he doesn't walk much. But then, what are you going to do? DFA Mike Talkman? You're not going to do that. There's just right. not enough space. Twenty six man roster. You, you have thirty to thirty five qualified big leaguers in your organization. Only twenty six spots.
0: Yeah. Um. I guess before we get out of here, um, who else is standing out that maybe we haven't talked about today that uh, fans should maybe pay attention to
1: let me look at my roster um jonathan perlaza probably the big one um I, again a, another guy that you see him he's 510 225 pounds and just the most muscular human being ever he looks I like he be, be be playing football or a professional wrestler and um right side, spring right he was side. just huge he's a he's a beast he's an absolute unit And you see him hitting leadoff, and it's a little confusing because you would expect a guy like that to hit balls off the scoreboard. And he plays like a leadoff guy. He draws walks. He hits with runners in scoring position. He shortens up the stroke. Um, He has a 400 on base percentage. He has a 23 game on base streak. So, you know, a guy like that where if you look at him, you're expecting lots of power, lots of strikeouts, three outcomes. And it's not like that. He leads the team in doubles, second on the team in hits. Uh, Hitting over 300, just a quality hitter from both sides. And he hits everything hard. His exit velocity over the last month, when it started to heat up, he started to heat up. I mean, you see him hit a double off the left center field wall uh, from the right side at 108. And I saw him the other day hit a ball from the left side 109. So to be able to do that from both sides and, and feel comfortable and track pitches that way, and you know, early on in the season, his lefty splits were better again you know, than his righties. Now it's almost even. Um, he's a big league hitter. I, I wonder where he'll play. Um, I still think he's trying to improve left field, right field. I mean, he was signed as a second baseman, but at some point got to get hitters in the lineup of the big leagues, and he can hit from both sides.
0: It's it's a lot of fun to watch and and we didn't even talk about Ben Brown, but he's been I've caught a couple of his starts and that dude's electric.
1: Absolutely electric. Uh his last start obviously six innings, six hits, eleven K's, and you know, he's still trying to to, to figure out, you know, going from double A AA to triple A with you know the new baseball. Obviously, double A uses the tack ball and you know sometimes mm-hmm. he loses his grip and his arm slot, but you know, you see him go six scoreless and strike out eleven. He has eighty eight strikeouts and fifty eight in the third innings pitch this year.
0: He's a special. And no walks arm. in that last start.
1: None. No, he's a he's yeah. a he's a competitor. He's a special arm. He's a special kid. He's a really, really, really good dude. And he's somebody that you would want to factor into your rotation for a long, long time. They struck gold with that trade. They did.
0: Yeah, I thought they did great last year getting him and Hayden Wisniewski.
1: They did. And I'm, I'm a big Efrost guy, too. I mean, Scott. Oh, I mean, he was, he,
0: yeah, I love Efrost.
1: I I mean, he was one of my favorite I Cubs that I've had here in five years. But um, you get a guy who could factor in your rotation for the next 10 years. I mean, that type of stuff is almost irreplaceable. So to have Ben Brown, Hayden Wesneski, even, you know, Caleb Killian still, um, Jordan Wicks in double A, Cubs rotation is in good shape.
0: Yeah. And Assad. Assad is the guy that I think is often overlooked, but he, he was just money for the Cubs down the stretch and he looked was. amazing in the World Baseball Classic.
1: Yep. No, he, he's a guy that has shown can now do two roles. Now now he's a long guy too. He can go back to starting. I mean, he provides a, a lot of flexibility. I mean, it's almost like a, a mini Keegan Thompson situation where you know, he started mm-hmm. up in the big leagues. He threw well, then they threw him in the bullpen in long stints and they threw him in the bullpen in short stints and you know, he succeeded. Now, obviously, Keegan is here right now working on some stuff, but having guys in the organization who can provide that versatility, um, that's really nice to have.
0: Well, I think it's cool, too, for these guys that even if even if it doesn't wind up working out with the Cubs, if they get caught on the wrong side of a numbers game or they're sent off in a trade, showing that versatility, they're, they're going to catch somewhere. We're, we're going to hear about Javier Assad or Keegan Thompson, either with the Cubs over the next five, six years or somewhere else.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think that that Keegan's a big arm for the Cubs, a guy who they drafted high, who was pitching high leverage situations. He was their best reliever last year.
0: Oh, he was so good.
1: He was so good. And I think that getting him back to being Keegan and being comfortable and getting the cutter back and throwing the curveball for strikes and that fastball to 94, 96, I think he is a bullpen and a team-changing arm when things click. Um, I like Javi. I think he's really good. I think that he could be a back end of the bullpen or back end of the, you know, starting rotation starter. I think he could be a middle reliever. I think Keegan can be a back end of the bullpen guy. Yeah, I, I think he's, he's a pretty big deal. Great. Yeah.
0: Well, um, thanks for coming on today. Where, where can people find you?
1: Uh, you can find me uh, on Twitter at voice of Cohen Um It used to be at voice of Cohen. I have been hacked. Uh, my messages, the <laughs> like Elon have gone unanswered, unfortunately. So, uh, but yeah, Don't at, 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 at voice of Cohen too. Um you can also find us uh, at Iowa Um You can watch us on the Bally live app. You can watch us for 10 more games on marquee sports network um, and just follow the Iowa cubs at, at Iowa cubs on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram.
0: It's so great to be able to see all the minor league action that we we couldn't see five, six years ago.
1: No, and just seeing that the way the Cubs organization is uh, when it comes to minor league talent. All four full-season minor league teams are over 500, and they have some studs on them. So um, if you're not watching Iowa Cubs games, I hope you're watching Tennessee Smokies games. I hope you're watching South Bend Cubs games and uh, Myrtle Beach Pelicans game because there is a lot of talent in this organization.
0: Who's throwing tonight for Iowa?
1: I think it's Riley Thompson, top 30 guy. Cool.
0: Yeah, I looked yep. this morning. It wasn't announced yet, so.
1: Yeah, they, I think Riley Thompson's going uh, going today, and yeah, you know, when you have you know, three straight games of Ben Brown, Caleb Killian, and Riley Thompson, that's uh, that's pretty tough for the opposition.
0: Yes, it is. Well, thanks for coming on the show.
1: Thanks for having me on. Really appreciate it.
0: Thanks. Thank you for joining me today. If you liked the discussion, or maybe especially if you didn't, please drop a rating and review wherever it is you get your podcasts, or tell a friend about the show. Just a few seconds from you gives me great feedback and helps other Cub fans find the show. You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube, all at Cubs PS Plus, And check out the Patreon page, cubspsplus.patreon.com, to help support the show and keep it ad-free. This is Mike Waller, host of the Cubs PS Plus podcast. Every day with Cubs baseball or talking about Cubs baseball is a great day. Go Cubs!